I'm from Switzerland originally, and I spent time there and then in Italy also a lot of time. And I've also spent quite a bit of time in South America. And all those places are much more accommodating to children, not in the sense that they change spaces around to accommodate children, but in the sense that they just are okay with children being there. In the United States, very, very often, there are many subtle or not subtle ways that you're being told that you're not allowed to be in certain spaces. And so I think that's a really huge difference, I think. It feels like here, the way that we think of children is as something, a very private, personal good, as opposed to a common good. That's why other people don't feel in any way connected to your child. And that's why they're bothered, ultimately, by it. To me, that's a very bad thing, I would say, about living here and raising a child here. It's not a good thing. Not for the children and not for society. Welcome to Towards a Kinder Public, a podcast dedicated to designing kinder public space that better meets our interconnected needs. I'm Kevin Castle, and along with Annie Chen, we are Kinder Public. This is the second episode of Towards a Kinder Public's fourth season, which is dedicated to a close look at the interweaving of social, spatial, and organizational exclusion. Our guests today are Krista Donner and Selena Trepp, two highly accomplished U.S.-based artists. Krista Donner is an artist, writer, and organizer who combines material exploration and social exchange to propose speculative models. Her work has been exhibited widely, including international institutions and throughout the United States. In 2012, when her child was one year old, Krista initiated Cultural Reproducers, an evolving creative platform for and about cultural workers who are also parents. Krista Donner's sound work is featured at the end of this episode. Selena Trepp is a Swiss-American artist researching economy and improvisation who works across media and space, combining performance, installation, painting, and sculpture to create intricate setups that result in photos, drawings, and animations. Selena is also active in the experimental music scene and performs with a varying cast of collaborators and as one half of Spectralina. Krista and Selena are joining me again to speak further about the creative platform Cultural Reproducers and their childcare-supported event series model, which was developed to allow artist parents and their children continued access to the art world as professionals and as consumers, rather than being directed into programming for and about children. We'll discuss more about their important work in Chicago, as well as their broader expertise on the inclusion of children and families. As we will be discussing exclusion due to reproductive status and gendered social expectations, I'll take a moment to restate our framework. Kinder Public recognizes and celebrates all people and families. Our hope is that individual roles within families have the ability to find their unique and workable balance, free of any biological and gender expectations that are experienced in harmful or limiting ways. We observe the many ways that different families divide paid work and the labor of raising children, 
and acknowledge all of this as profoundly important work. We do also support the idea of children as a common good. Thank you for joining us for part two of our interview on the work of Krista Donner, Selena Trepp, and cultural reproducers. When people have infants, toddlers, and preschoolers, it's an intense time when additional supports are really needed. But as your kids get older, do you find that you have additional requirements for inclusion or different requirements for inclusion? Um, Are you seeing the positive outcomes from your earlier push for inclusion of your children and they are now able to function more independently in a variety of environments? Say yes, for sure. I mean, I think the needs are very, very different with older children. My child being disabled is, again, a whole other set of kind of needs that I learned to think about and to think about how it could be accommodated or what kind of accommodation is needed. But ultimately, I mean, older kids are also, they're their own person. And so that in itself makes it both easier and also harder because they have their own preferences and needs and desires that need to be respected and that they can also communicate, which makes it a lot easier. I think with small children, part of the difficulty is that they can't advocate for themselves in any real way. So it's hard to know. Yeah. But I think in the case of my own child, I would say the fact that I insisted on inclusion all along and still to this day, I mean, Maxine is very much part of my husband is a musician. We also have a band together. We perform quite a bit. Our child goes to these places, is, you know, meets all these people. They have to, in Maxine's special case, that also means that people need to learn how to deal with an autistic person, which I think is very valuable. And for Maxine to be able to be in the world. So I think the more one goes out and insists on being out in the world and also insists on the world becoming more accommodating so not just thinking about like pushing yourself to fit but asking them to say like hey well if you want to have parents in your midst as artists if you want to hear the stories of parents and see the stories in that angle then you need to create a space where parents can actually exist and be right and if you don't do that what you'll get is you'll get a really hobbled perspective and we have the right to ask for that i think as everybody does so in my experience, it's been very useful and also exhausting. Sometimes you're just like, why do I still have to ask? Mm-hmm. And then do the work. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one thing that I've learned greatly is that I actually ask other people to do the work nowadays. So I've gotten good at that. Like that has been very different. I think I would never, it wouldn't occur to me. Like right now, I'm often in the situation where I have great ideas for things that I would love to have happen. And I'm like, yeah, I wish somebody would do that. I really want to be in the studio and make art. Like. That's where I'm at. (laughs) So I let the world know. I let people know my good ideas and I hope they pick it up. Yeah, I do think I'm seeing, uh, you know, in art and also in other parts of in academia, like I teach uh, at a couple different colleges right now. And it's been interesting to see this shift. And I don't think it's I don't think the cultural reproducers necessarily is the is the only thing uh, spurring that. But right, like people will be much more upfront about the fact that they have family concerns and they can't make it to a meeting because um, they have to be home with their kids, uh, which, which it just, just like five, 10 years ago, I don't think people would have, they would have just said, Oh, I have a prior commitment. Um, right. Cause it didn't sound professional to, to mention that you had kids at home. Um, but yeah, I think it has definitely changed when I'm remembering like a very early cultural reproducers event. One of the, one of the 
childcare supported events. I remember my child being up in the in the the area where the kids were, and we were downstairs, and we had microphones, and we were presenting, and this whale came in. It was like mama, and sobbing, and it was my kid. <laughs> Um, and it's like, you know, it really made me wonder, you know, like, what am I doing? This is really hard on her. I'm dragging her around all these things. She has to stay longer than all the other kids because I'm not just dropping her off. I'm bringing her there. We're setting up. We're talking to all these people. She's there for hours. Um, so she went through a lot. And she still, if I mention anything about cultural reproducers, she's just like, oh, I hate cultural reproducers. <laughs> Um, but you know, she also is an amazing person to go to an art museum with. Um, she's got this really incredible critical eye. It's really fun to, to talk about, talk about art with her and observe things that we see in the world. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a whole different, it's a whole different thing now that she's older. And I do remember being at a presenting when, when cultural reproducers was really new, I was presenting as part of, um, this feminist art project day of day of papers at uh, at the College Art Association, and I remember some of the more seasoned mothers in the audience kind of rolling their eyes and being like, <laughs> "You know, but your kid is really young. What's going to happen when they're when they're like twelve or you know whatever? Like, what's going to happen to this project?" And I was like, I don't know, you know, I have no idea. This is all, you know, this is all really new to me, but I, but I don't feel like I should not do this. Uh, I, this is where I'm at right now. And this is where my needs are. And I see, I, I can see other people have these needs. So obviously this is where I'm going to put my energy. Um, and it, it, it's, it, it's been evolving. Like I don't post as often on the website, right? Like the website has really slowed down. The events have really slowed down because my pace of life is different. And I'm always trying to think about how how to make it something that maybe continues or is archived in a certain kind of way because I think it's still useful and important. It's just it's just my relationship with it is is always changing. I was going to say for you about your project, it also has always been in a space between a project that is a project in the world in a very practical sense, but also a social art an art practice of yours like this is very much part of your art practice and that was always something that was very explicitly different between me and Krista where for Krista cultural reproducers is part that goes back and forth of her practice but for me cultural reproducer was something that was more of like a political activity I would say and sort of a cultural political activity but not related to my practice, except for insofar that I really think about my practice as a problem solving practice. And this was the same thing of like really thinking about being very direct, like what are our needs? What do we need to see? We don't see it. Let's make it. I think we weren't able to solve the problem forever, but I think we were able to add something in that moment by doing that. And that that approach, I mean, Selena, your your approach, like I think on either end of our of our um event series and the, and the things, the, the projects that we did together as part of it. Um, I've been the, I've been the thread that's been holding the things together. Right. But the, the approach that I take and the language of it and the, so much of that would never, would never have coalesced if it hadn't been for your, your language around that. Like you just have such a specific and um, practical is not the right term. You're just, you're very, you're, you're, you live your ethics in a way that I, I'm always learning from. 
and that really informed cultural reproducers and continues to. Yeah, I think it's just very direct, right? Like it's sort of, it's actually very uncomplicated. That's by practical. I also think it's kind of like, okay, we got to just make it work. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. I was, I was just talking with a friend about my collaboration with you and my collaboration with somebody else. And I was like, yeah, it's funny. My collaborations, I'm always with these super brilliant people who can just do shit. And I just kind of come in and, and add a couple of things or just sharpen it or something. <laughs> that is not how I think about it. We, but. when we were doing that event series, right. Another thing that happened that I'll mention is that, so we were curating these events. We'd had four of them. In the meantime, people were inviting us to be on panels and all these things. And I remember going to a panel at a gallery and and there were all these like angry parents in the audience who were like, you need to do this for us. You need to do that. And I was like, when did I become a like a service organization for these people? Um, we had and we were trying to decide what to do for our final our final event in this series. And so we 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 were just like, you know, I think instead of it being an artist talk, it needs to be a workshop, like a skill sharing workshop where people really think, start thinking about what is it that they need and what is it that they want and kind of reverse engineer it into like, how, how could we get there? Um, and it became this really, you know, Selena really, really played an important role in, in figuring out how we were going to structure that. But, but that, workshop series was a or that workshop became a series of workshops um that that was a it has become a really interesting process I now have all these examples to show people um of ways that people have done that where they've been like this is what I need I'm gonna make it right which I think for a lot of people they don't have the bandwidth for that or they don't believe you know they're just like I'm just trying to get dinner on the table and maybe get half an hour in my studio sometime this week um so to set aside an hour to bring people together and that first event was great because it was also it was like arts administrators and board members and also artists and and put them into small groups and have them talk about like here are the problems that I'm experiencing here's what my fantasy scenario would be and here here are the steps I'm going to take to get there which was really exactly how we came up with this child care supported event series was we were just like, ah, oh, I'm so frustrated because this, this, and this. Wouldn't it be great if art events happened during this time and there was childcare and blah, blah, blah. What if we wrote a grant and we asked for these items, right? And like, bam, it happened very quickly. So not not that everything's that easy, but it it was useful, I think, as a as a way of framing that for people. And also framing problems not as problematic but as prompts right like really thinking about it as like okay well this is where work needs to be done and it's good to know and then to make that like how can I make that interesting and how can I address that within my own means which also sometimes means like changing what you want right or what you need like realizing like yeah well this isn't going to be the marble pa palace and instead you're going to do something else that is going to fulfill certain aspects of the needs like really looking at what it is that you what the problem really is I really like the idea of problems as prompts. And I really like how you approach that by understanding the problem, kind of having a having a resolution in mind and then outlining the steps to get there with a variety of professions represented at the table. If I'm interpreting that correctly, that was really smart. My little guy is in the background. So 
Sorry, he's <laughs> we're also having animal noises today. So <laughs> um, I I want to come back, um, Selena, to the idea of your your sudden awareness that in America <laughs> you will lose your professional occupation at the first sight of offspring and apparently no one alerted you to that uh custom <laughs> although actually the gallery that that kicked me out was in switzerland oh sorry which is even less surprising because switzerland they only got the right to vote in 1971 but in america in other ways i felt it i find america extremely i mean for me it was has been and still is a shocking shockingly um, becoming a parent feels like being dropped back into the 1950s somehow, or what I imagined them to be, because obviously I was not alive then. Um, I I find it, I have found it very surprising how extremely gendered everything is. Yeah. So uh, my assumption was wrong. I apologize, but <laughs> I'm just like... Americans aren't the worst. You're a mother. Yeah. So if I can shift that that thought to the use of public space, um, I think that we can agree that here parents and young children are generally not accommodated. Um, I would even say excluded in that they may not be able to be physically present. And if they are physically present, they may not be able to participate as others are. So it's really imperative that we understand how to make public space better for parents and young children. Um, have you, and you've touched on this a bit, but have you lived in communities or participated with institutions that did a better job of integrating parents and young younger children into the wider community or even older children, just children in general? I'm from Switzerland originally, and I spent time there and then in Italy also a lot of time. And I've also spent quite a bit of time in South America with Maxine when they were small. And all those places are much more accommodating to children not in the sense that they change spaces around to accommodate children, but in the sense that they just are okay with children being there. Whereas in the United States, very, very often, there are many subtle or not subtle ways that you're being told that you're not allowed to be in certain spaces, like restaurants, for example. I would always take my child to restaurants and I'd like to eat well. So when I go to a restaurant, it's going to be a nicer restaurant and not a McDonald's. Like I want to sit down, there's going to be adults there. And that was actually very difficult when Maxine was small, not because Maxine was in any way bothersome, but because people really did not like it and would say so in, in ways or let us know. Or, for example, there were a couple of summers that I spent in Europe and I would I was my partner was there and then would have to he was touring. And so he'd go away. But I was also working and I would have meetings with people. And so I would meet people in a coffee that was a cafe that's right next to the playground and Maxine would be in the playground and I would be in the cafe and we would have our meeting and I wouldn't have to be concerned about Maxine because I could kind of see her and that was totally okay. Whereas in the United States, there's this expectation that parents are constantly going to be right there and that if something happens to your child, you are going to run over. Whereas in Europe and in South America as well, my experience has always been that the child is viewed as a common good and that you know that if something happens to your child, if your back is turned, somebody else is going to go there and make sure that their child is okay, as would you with their, another child. And so I think that's a really huge difference. I think it feels like here, the way that we 
think of children as, as something a very private personal good as opposed to a common good and so that's why we can't participate that's why other people don't feel in any way connected to your child and that's why they're bothered ultimately by it to me that's a very bad thing i would say about living here and raising a child here it's not a good thing yeah not for the children and not for society yeah i mean and i think it makes the children really anxious and not you know it makes them scared of being independent and you know it's a whole it's a whole it's a whole other podcast um yeah i remember being in at a residency in germany i mean we I had been interested in doing artist residencies before I became a parent, but after I became a parent, it it was even, it just, it became sort of a little bit of a research obsession for me to find these residencies that would allow for that and create, create something that would, that would help me to sort of, uh, you know, that would feed my creative practice um, and my own creative research, but also create a, a situation where I could, I could bring my family along and my, you know, maybe my kid would get a, an interesting experience out of it, but I, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was going to, there was no way I was going to like leave my child at home for two months while I did a residency or something. So I, I really actively was applying for things and finding out about different kinds of programs that would, that would allow for and support uh, having a, child along and that was that was really interesting both in terms of how differently it worked in different places but also um yeah I mean it was eye-opening to be in these different countries where where parenthood was approached so differently at like as Selena was saying and I remember being I did a residency um in Berlin where it was part of this the Max Planck Institute for the History of Science <laughs> which also had the the added benefit of the fact that it was it was not actually an arts arts institution um it was a scholarly institution um but they had this thing that was through I'm not going to remember the correct name but it was like through the um the National Department of women and family rights or something like that like something that I just couldn't even I was just like what that's a thing um and because this department needed to make sure that that women and families were being treated appropriately in this scholarly institution there's this room <laughs> that's like a, a meeting room that had um where you could bring your kid if they were sick and couldn't go to school um, and you can have your meetings in there. Uh, you could. There's a phone for you to use. And there was a whole cabinet that if you opened the cabinet up, it was full of, of art supplies and toys that people had brought in. So your kid could totally just hang out in there while you worked. And I was like, what? This is not an expensive thing to, to do. This is something that a lot of business places could have, just have, right? It's just like a cabinet with some toys and crayons in it. Um, and and probably they have something like this set up, but they're not thinking about it in terms of family. They're just like, oh, we need a we need a flex space, you know, like we need a space for people to to meet if there's something going on in their office or whatever else. But the the fact that it was framed that way, and when we got the tour of the building, that was how it was introduced to us, just completely blew my mind. Like it's just again this idea of of these things that it would never occur to us to ask for that are just taken for granted other places because the culture is thinking about the role of caregivers in society in such a different way, right? Like it's not that it's not that mothers automatically get to do whatever they want and 
Berlin or anything, right? Like there's still these problems are still there, but it, but it's so much more a part of the culture. I, I, one thing I noticed when we would have these events in in Chicago is that some of the more international artists would be like, oh, it's like going to an art opening in Berlin. Because <laughs> I guess in Berlin, everyone brings their kids to art openings, right? It's not a thing. Um, but here, that's still not not the norm necessarily. I mean, for me, it was very strange moving to Chicago when I was 23 and being part of the art scene in Zurich where there were already people with children in the scene that, you know, it was very normal to see children and then coming here and realizing I never saw any children until I had children. And so that was definitely part of, I think, what we were also talking about was just visibility, right? like thinking about how there is this vanishing that happens and why and how do we change that? And how do we make it not just like you were saying that, you know, there's like, quote unquote, family programs are really like kids programs. And no one who's no one who doesn't have kids would go to that. Right. Versus programs for adults, which is people without children. <laughs> um, and I didn't, you know, like, like, can't there be something where that's not just for parents, uh, you know, that's for all of the people to sort of mingle and have conversations and maybe there's kids and maybe there aren't but you know it's it's all it's all mixed together and feels normal and interesting and healthy and also i think one of the things that i remember us discussing very specifically around how we programmed the event series was really thinking about having things that, that were interesting to everyone that shouldn't always just be the conversation as soon as you become a parent then you're forced into being in the conversation around parenthood in every aspect of your life but actually I, none of us really want that. We want to have that to be not something that needs to be hidden, but it also doesn't, unless this is your main thing, it doesn't have to be your main thing at all times. So really thinking about the curation of having talks that were at a convenient time for us and that they had the child care support for us, but were open to everyone and everyone, we made a very big effort to make it interesting to everyone because we wanted there to be not this kind of like segregation, but bringing people together like normalizing it. Yeah. It brings us back to the point of the personal good versus the collective good and how we identify children in our in our lives and in our cultural life. Very interesting. Um, within the last 10 years, <laughs> I've observed really accomplished professionals in academic and design careers slipping engagement rings off of fingers before walking into work meetings or hiding the existence of their children at all costs because that slippage from their personal or fertility life would immediately sever them from the benefit of their own professional expertise and ruin the illusion of a body that is perpetually available for workplace labor, perhaps. Um, this prohibition did not seem to be experienced by men in the same positions, uh, by my observation. Um, men were most likely able to participate without anything kind of uh, indicating their role as a caregiver because they were benefiting from the labor of another parent, perhaps. And the existence of partners and children actually enhanced their professional persona rather than diminishing it. Can you speak more to the gender dimension um, that you find in your work? Please feel welcome to correct or adjust my language or framework. <laughs> I can speak to that. Um, yeah, of course. I think I see it in every aspect of life. And in the art world, it's very, very obvious in many, 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 many different ways. I think complexly also, despite 
many men not really consciously wanting it to be like that or you know it's like a lot of it is really baked in super deep from all participants in how we sort of how reward structures operate it's very unconscious um but yeah i see it and i think part of it is in regards to what kind of work men are allowed to make and women are allowed to make part of it is what the expectations are part of it is also literally men often make a lot more money and so then that forces couples artist couples into positions where they're perhaps two artists but one of the artists is making more money and the so then the other artist does make more childcare, which then leads into less studio time and you know like so there's this whole kind of snowballing effect that happens that does still i think greatly benefit men and one also sees that in regards to who gets exhibited and who doesn't get exhibited what happens when people speak up versus when people don't speak up about things where it's like with men speaking up that's okay women speaking up is not really that okay like it's already much more problematic so i think not i think if anything maybe it's actually kind of been a little bit of a backsliding lately i want to i wanted to grab this uh zine <laughs> <laughs> the propositions manifestos and experiments uh, because there's this quote from another group another artist's parent group invisible spaces of parenthood that i really like that's on that inside cover and they say when child care is an equally shared problem among genders it transcends the private sphere and is treated as a public and infrastructural issue and i think that that's so um right on the money right like whenever whenever i have these conversations and there are and there are men involved right like they're not they're not coming at it as like whoo i'm going to throw my weight around i can do whatever i want they're just coming to it from this other this other place of i mean certainly privilege um but just being able to to ask for what they want to ask for and and do what they want to do in a way that that most women have not have not been able to um and so so yeah, I mean, I think there there are things I, I I still don't have that language for it except except for this, but the um, you know, these things that are treated as is it a public and infrastructural issue or is it this this women's issue, right? <laughs> um, that we have to apologize for or um or or feel weird about asking for, uh, you know, that makes us seem less professional in some way, you know that I think when you when you said that about women slipping off their wedding rings so that they would be seen as more professional like that's so disturbing <laughs> um and it's one of the reasons that i think once an artist once uh you know once we are successful enough to do so it, it can be really empowering to others to be very upfront about the fact that we are parents and make that visible i remember i remember as an art student seeing um seeing an artist named Lisa Hoke speak about her work. Um, she came and spoke in front of the, you know, my art school. And she mentioned, it wasn't a major part of her art talk, but she was just mentioning that something in her studio practice had changed because her child was coming home from school at a certain time and she, you know, needed to be with them. And for me as a, as a, I don't know how old I was, like 20 years old um, art student to hear a woman artist mentioned that she had kids and that she still had an art practice and was just working with that felt so, uh, I don't know, like it felt groundbreaking at the time, you know, like, which is so it's, that's, that's upsetting. 
uh, to think about. But it, it, I went up to her afterwards and thanked her for mentioning that, you know, that was like long before I didn't have kids till I was in my 30s. Um, but just to just to mention that you have a family and that that is a factor in decisions that you make about your practice and your and that that does matter in terms of the timing of things. Once you're in a position to do so, um, I think is is really can be really powerful for yourself and for you know people you may not realize it's helping. It's also interesting to just the assumption of, of availability, right? That if you're married, you're available to somebody else primarily. Mm-hmm. As opposed to if you're not, then you're available you available to the work in that same way. And I think of men, that same availability is never actually asked. And I would also say men can ask for infrastructure changes because they are the ones who grant it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Right. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to check out our website, kinderpublic.com, for links and more information about our guests and the topic. A full transcript of the conversation can be found on Kinder Public's podcast page. Captioned episodes of all of our interviews are also available on our YouTube channel, where we are at Kinder Public. We are also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you there. Please share the episode, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a rating and a review. This helps make our message more visible, and we really appreciate your support. Here is an audio clip from Krista Donner's work, Peripatetic Pandemic Soundtrack, a conversational excursion held between four participants in Chicago and Singapore that began on March 27, 2021. At night, in one time zone, morning in the other, This walk takes the form of a conversational drift. The full work is linked in our episode notes so that you can experience the audio and visual components and read the corresponding conversation that took place across time and geography. I'm Kevin Castle, and my guests have been Krista Donner and Selena Trepp speaking about the creative platform Cultural Reproducers. Our conversation will continue in the next episode. Please take extra care. We'll meet you back here next week.